comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is still not here, but I have others joining me anyway. This is the second installment of our Out Now bonus horror series, uh, where we're going over a couple decades of horror each week for the month of October this year. Um, this well, Last week we did the, the early years of horror. We talked about the 20s through the 40s. This, year, this week we're talking about the, uh, the 50s and the 60s, which gives us kind of hammer horror, Vincent Price, sci-fi, the third dimension, and more. And uh, joining me once again, we have from Star Pulse, uh, Jason Coleman. Uh, I am indeed here. And it's, 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 see, the 50s and 60s were so scary that Abe refused to come. So. Yeah, this, this was scarier than, than last time. <laughs> He's even more scared now. That was the thing. <laughs> hey, hey. He's plagued by um, by Clatu in his dreams. It's <laughs> Uh, also, we have from Naptown Nerd and Wise to the Blue, Brandon Peters. Good morning, afternoon, evening, and unlike Abe, I ain't scared of no podcast. And joining us now, finally, we have from JoeBlow.com, Jimmy O. Oh, I'm actually on set. I don't know if I can talk to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we, we've, we've finally we, assembled. We, <laughs> He's gracing us with his presence. Yeah, 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 this is a yeah. special bonus for us. Yeah. <laughs> Avengers assembled. Let's do this. We each put baby. in a lot of money into a pool and gave it gave it to the, the, the Jimmy needs to be on this podcast program. Damn, I lost. Given that he inspired the idea for this podcast series. But here we are. We finally got the, the full crew together, and we can talk about the uh, the 50s and 60s in horror. And, um, yeah, that's the plan this week. I mean, we're just going to kind of mm-hmm. jump right in again. And so let's, let's start in it. So... We left off. We were at the forties. We got we got through that. There's a lot of like Universal monster movies. That was kind of where we they're teaming up, teaming up sequels and what have you. Now we get to the fifties, and um, things take a turn in the fifties. Like the like the monsters are still like they're still around, right? Yeah, yeah. But they're yeah, more absolutely. they're more they're more reflective it's... of like world events. Yes, yeah, so it was the atomic society. age. Everyone was afraid of the atomic bomb, so you had all these mutants and and i i don't know about you a lot of these movies i kind of grew up on on tv because you know this this stuff giant monsters man i was sure that we're going to get attacked by giant spiders i was sure of that in fact i still am which one's the spider one? Is that them or is them. that No, no, them wasn't spiders. Them, them it was, was, first, uh, it was the first bug flick. Go ahead. It was the first bug flick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the spiders were. Uh, um, blah, 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 blah. They had. Uh, tarantula. Tarantula, which is cool. Uh, them is awesome. Wasn't that the obviously giant ants? Correct. Yes. Yes. I like big bugs. They Cannot lie. Me. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't get more human-headed than, of course, the classic 1958 film, The Fly. Of oh course. my goodness! Yeah. We're, we're now combining. We're now combining human and bugs. So. Yes. The to- the atomic age. Well, just giant There's... stuff, right? Because like you have the like, attack of the fifty foot woman. I mean, that's a big <laughs> one. The, 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 I mean, go full go for go for broke. The Blob, of course. Yes. Oh, yep. Steven yeah. McQueen as Steve. opposed to Steve McQueen. I, I watched that movie pretty recently on the uh, Criterion Blue. It's really colorful. That's like my main takeaway from that movie. It's a very colorful movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a greaser movie, except instead of you know hot rods racing at the end it's a giant blob monster that's around but it's like very like a lot of primary colors the soundtrack's a lot of poppy fun like it's it's a fun yeah. little movie no it, it was it was you know it was one of the first uh teen, well not one of the not necessarily the first but it was one of those great teenage movies that wanted all the young people to come and go oh look you can be scared of the giant thingy giant jello or pudding i know what it, it, was, it was something like pudding or jello some... Or glob, it was, that's why it's called the blob. And getting back to uh, giant monsters, we do also have Godzilla, of course, which is over Godzilla. in Japan. 
Yes. Right? Suddenly we all go silent. God, Godzilla, <laughs> the, the original film was such a... It, it, it's still one that kind of haunts me. It was such a powerful film when I first saw it. And now I'm kind of, you know, I, I grew up watching all the little Mothra and all the, all the sequels and mm-hmm. kind of being inspired by that and thinking how cool it would be. It's funny, I grew up with all the, the, the kind of sp- the sequel Godzilla movies, the ones that, you know, are not serious. Um, yeah. And I have a weird, like, knowledge of those movies when I, cause when I saw the new Godzilla, I was like recalling these past films and writing about, those things it's like mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a lot more knowledge about these other Godzilla movies than I thought I did, and that, yeah, I think that stems from the fact that I grew up watching, you know, being rather excited about seeing these ones on TV or whatnot. It's like, who's he fighting this time? And there's Bielante. Mm-hmm. It's like that's something, okay. <laughs> uh, but then yeah, I, I went when the, like Godzilla has an amazing Criterion release that came out a few years back, and I was you know I was watching that when it came out. And I've seen that movie before, but you know, watching it at the age I was, you know, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Certainly more mature than when I was a child, and yeah, that movie it is quite haunting, and it is. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's an aspect to it that, of course, you can't get past when it comes to seeing a giant rubber guy in a suit. But at the same time, it's played so there's such a solemn tone, and it's it's quite, it can be quite you know saddening to to watch this monster that's just wrecking everything. People are trying to they don't know what to do, and there's you know it obviously reflects that the age, the atomic age, as you mentioned, just. Mm-hmm this kind of state of disarray, especially Japan was in where it's like, how do we, we can't, we don't know how to respond to this terrible thing that happened to us. So we'll make this movie. Cause it's the only way we can really satirize the, uh, the time. And this is the result. And now we have to know this with a 50, 60 year legacy of this 70 year. <laughs> it's got to 54. <laughs> God, don't, don't ask me to do that. It's way too <laughs> that was my, that was my sneaky way of getting Jimmy upset by asking him to do that. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> the um, but but it's interesting that idea of 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 fear. You know, fear is very very prominent. I would think in in uh, in the nineteen fifties, not only from little things, you know, like how their reaction with God, doing Godzilla to you know the thing from another world was at the beginning of the of the year, and then um, body snatchers. You know, Donald mm-hmm. Sunseagle's body snatchers in nineteen fifty six. So invasion he, of the body snatchers. One yeah. The, well, yeah. that was also. I mean, you. I think it was you, Brandon, that said this is this was this was very very relevant for the time. I mean, there was the fear of communism. There was all this weird stuff going on, and it really was reflected in horror. Yeah, I would say, I, and I don't know if you talked about that in the last podcast. I don't remember that. Did you talk about the, the connection with politics and horror? I don't think we got into societal no. commentary too much in the last episode because I don't think it really was as present as it is. Very no, clearly. I don't think it was. Yeah, yeah. I think it, yeah. it really. I mean, it literally, uh, literally every every horror movie seemed to come from that. Uh, aside from you know the, maybe the Tingler or something like that. <clears throat> no, the Tingler and, was attacking feminism. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, there, you go, there you go. The Tingler and Plan Nine from Outer Space. Yeah, of course, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of my favorites. I love Plan Nine from Outer Space so no, much. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. I'm, I'm trying to like. I'm sure you know. There's people that have researched this much more than we have in this, that's been doing, for doing these podcasts that can talk about what kind of influences from culture on a more political commentary level made an impact on the horror films of the 40s 30s and 20s but yeah the 50s it really seems it at least seems very obvious like i can't ob- i can't think of the obvious notions we're pointing at in the 40s or the 30s but in yeah. the 50s it seems very clear that you know, there's paranoia regarding uh, communism regarding the cold war and uh, you know the atomic age and things of that nature it seems very clear that the 50s are you know it's a, it's a giant melting pot of ideas when it comes to putting societal commentary politics and whatever into the guise of these sci-fi and horror films that were coming out mm-hmm. yeah. well, and, well, and it's the, lasted too go, yeah, go I, ahead bro. well i was just gonna say the 50s more than any probably decade in horror where is where the majority of the films are like products of their time and there's like a less timelessness to i mean even some of the better ones than than the other decades where you know every every one of them has a product of their time but whether some hold up or not or whatever, you know, I, I don't see anyone getting incredibly scared by a lot of the films of the 50s still to this day, whereas, like, something like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre could still be effective regardless of where uh, time and place. Yeah, it's more like but, the, the concepts certainly seem yeah. scarier than the actual, like, movies themselves. Like Something like, like The Thing <laughs> is a good example, because The Thing, and we'll get to that when we get to the 80s as well, but The Thing 
the idea of that movie of this kind of some kind of creature burying itself inside of humans and you never know who's the one you should look out for. That's scary. That's a scary yeah. idea. Yeah, so yeah, it's a yeah. creature from the Black Lagoon. I mean, that's scary too. Yeah. I mean, if you're in, in the ocean, suddenly a crazy thing came out and grabbed you. It's like, that's, I don't need that in my life. But I mean, yeah, well, I mean, watching these movies, like, all right, yeah, this is like cool and the, the concept or whatnot, but scaring, literally scaring you, that's a bit of a stretch. But yeah, the... Yeah, they seem more a little bit like out there and there's a lot of like heavy sci-fi influence on stuff too, which can in turn make things a little goofier in the latter part. Like my, a lot of my experience, you know, I've, I've watched some of these films, you know, growing up and stuff too, but more, more of them come from watching their trailers too. And also mystery science theater 3000. Yeah. Basically made a career off a lot of these films. How do you guys feel about that? I mean, do you, I remember uh, when the film came out, when the mystery science theater film came out, I, the, this Island earth. Yes. Uh, yeah. A lot of people kind of felt a little bit, hey, these are these are classics in their own right. Do you, did you feel any kind of like, yeah, they Well, this island Earth movie. This Island Earth was done against their own will. They didn't want to do that movie. Yeah. And the studio forced them to put something um something more known well, yeah. or yeah, and they they didn't want to do that, but and yeah, then that's... they did do it and they got all their jokes reversed by the studio exec notes and they they weren't happy about that film too much either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's my, my main takeaway is that they do films that generally aren't regarded very well to begin with. I mean, short of something like, well, even that, that's not even um, a mystery science theater anymore. Like things like um, Manos and uh, Plan 9, because those are like, those are riff tracks movies. But I mean, the ones that they're doing per the show, they didn't really. Yeah, they were usually a little bit not not quite. As they're a little more underground, or a little yeah, more. Yeah, they weren't absolutely. respected respected films of the fifties. Not that, and it, I mean, even even then, it's not like they're doing it out of like you know for, to harm these people or anything. It's doing it out of good fun. And, oh yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> want to destroy them. I mean, at least they were getting played. I mean, I mean, at least yeah. people were you know seeing them in some form. So that was true. Have... That was true. But but you know, uh, I was going to say one of the one of the the big staples of the fifties in terms of actors would be Vincent Price. I mean, he really had quite a uh, uh, quite a, a cachet of movies that year. Mm-hmm. Um, House of Wax. Yeah. On the, a... Fly, the Fly. Return of the Fly. Return of the Fly. Not as not quite as good, but still still good. I would um, say The House of Wax was one of the first horror films I've, I'd ever seen in it. Yeah, that one honestly terrified the crap. I think that's still pretty creepy. Yeah, that one still actually pretty worked pretty well. Did you see it in yeah. the third dimension? Yes, uh, I did. I saw it. I saw it in one of those retro theaters, and it was in 3D, and it was, it was surprisingly cool. It was a, it was a really awesome movie-going experience. House of Lights was apparently the first color 3D film from a major American studio, which mm-hmm. came after The Man in the Dark, which was the first black and wh- major studio black and white 3D feature. Which and no, Paris Hilton wasn't in. The Vincent Price version. No, but her father was. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was an ode to him, I believe. Yes. See, and it's interesting that you talk about the, the the 3D, you know, because again, we were we were talking last week a little bit about showmanship, and of course, this was sort of the start of William Castle uh, and his kind mm-hmm. of thing with showmanship. He had done, you know, two films. I mean, he did much more in the 60s, but uh, the two films that he did in the 50s were um, House on the, you know, in the in the in the, the the Beyond style was House on Haunted Hill, which he did in Emergo, shot in Emergo, and it was a you know a ske- and they still do that sometimes here, where it's a skeleton with the red eye sockets. Yeah. They put it on a wire and it floats over the audience. And then the other one was The Tingler. And it was mm-hmm. shot in, in Percepto. And that's the one where they had kind of the buzzers under the seats. So oh, I love that. I love that. So, you know, William Castle sort of in the 50s kind of started a little bit of that showmanship and kept it going uh, in the 60s as well. So. I could, Yeah, I could see why that wouldn't be like here today. But I certainly admire kind of those kind of 4D experiences like theme parks and stuff that try to rec- recreate, you know, that kind of pulling in the audience even further by having those kind of things take place. Right. I, I mean, and, and I think they're, in many ways, they're trying to bring it back. But like you said, it's more theme parks. But I wouldn't be surprised if we would see that. So, some guy come along and do something amazing like that. Well, we have, like, we have D-Box. Yeah. And, and we, we, I mean, I, I've never been to a D-Box, but I'm sure it does, what, it's, it does its job. 
It's and, not. It's uh, it's okay. Okay, but then uh, you have like like what? The Transformers have like the 4D experience or whatever. Yeah, this past yeah but I don't know. I, I, listen, that's like putting that's like putting a you know bandaid on a severed arm. You're talking about a little box that goes in front of you that spews wind and water at your face. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it has quite the same effect. It's all, it also lacks the heart and the kind of right. – it, it feels so just uh, – I don't know. It feel, it, it's too it manufactured. Have, like, it's yeah. not loose. It's just – it's a mechanical thing rather than, yeah. a, right. you know, practical. Because, I mean, he used to have, like, people in costumes running out through aisles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, like, set people in the audience to freak out. I mean, it was so much fun. There was a lot of love. For the genre, and, and I think uh, Jason and I both love uh, matinee. Yeah, I oh, yeah. mean, it, oh, I mean, it really yeah. does kind of show somebody who was trying to to, to take a you know experience beyond the norm for yeah. for for theaters. And I I think I think maybe doing 3D today, you know, versus what you know they kind of started there in the 50s. I think I think the difference was is that is now it, it's, it feels like kind of a gimmick we're doing just to make money, as opposed to going, no, we love this and we're going to shoot this in a specific way that enhances it for the audience that makes it cool. So I I, it, goes, it goes back and forth. <clears throat> it goes back and forth today. I think mm-hmm. I, I think there's a mix of those that obviously just wanted to add on to the box office revenue, and there's others that want to make an immersive experience, and there's others like like Paul W. Sanderson who wants to just use it as it was used, just in the latest special effects man- way possible, kind of still throwing things at. And you look at one of these Resident Evil movies or his Musketeer movie, and it's it's him throwing stuff at the screen to you know get a fun reaction out of the audience. I don't I don't think he's doing it just to. I mean, he's using he's he's using like James Cameron's technology to try to do the best he can at making the most over the top 3D movie he can. Right. Yeah, it definitely can be fun. Like I know I know Jimmy and I both enjoy... like my bloody Valentine three. Right. Yes. That, yes. That, yeah. I was gonna say yeah. That's, that's fun. Exactly what I was gonna say. Jimmy it was and a I blast. Yeah. yeah. I used it for fun. Absolutely. So. Well, I I'll, I'll, I gotta give you a shout out to Patrick Lucia. He's he's he really loves this stuff and he's really inspired by it. And I, I think he adds a he does add that that fun drive in feel to you know whether it's that or drive angry. There there, not everyone loved drive angry, but I had a blast, man. I had a blast yeah. with the William Fickner parts. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, Patrick, I mean Patrick Lucia. I mean his movies are turn out to be. I mean they just have fun. Yes, and, no matter the and, concept, I, I really have a him and Todd Farmer together is a good pairing. I agree. I agree. Shout out to those guys. Cheers. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> That's another uh, episode. No shout out. Cancel episode, that. Yeah. Cancel that shout out. Uh, <laughs> um, in before we move on to the '60s, uh, '50s, uh, Hammer Horror was picking up quite a bit, wasn't it? it started the, toward the end of it. We had the Curse of Frankenstein, which was their first real, their first one foray into what they were known for. Um, that was '57, and then. And horror of Dracula started, and that was the one that just boom. And even I guess even before Hammer, we still had there were still kind of creature feet monster. We talked about creatures, but like monster <clears> movies, <throat> and um, you know the return of certain classic Universal characters was still certainly a thing during this time as well. I mean, you have we had what just considered what their last true of the classic character icons, which is the creature from the Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. which right. was fitting of the. They were radioactive monster movies and stuff at the time, too. But they sort of consider that the last one, even though, like, you know, like Norman Bates was soon to come and, like, Jaws could be considered a universal monster. But mm-hmm. that's considered the last of, like, the classic ones. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it's... I mean, Jaws, I think, is a... I get, I get where the logic is because it's a universal movie and it's about a monster. But, <laughs> I mean, it's just something about, the, you know, having quote-unquote iconic performances portraying these characters, it makes makes a bit of a difference. I guess I can see where the kind of the separation comes in. Even something mm. like, um, like Psycho, th- that's... Well, I guess we'll get there next because it's the 60s. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I was like, you jumping in there? Because I was like, that's a... Okay. That's a whole, yeah. That's, that's, a, whole a, that's, a, that's a decade right changer right there, man. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll move into that in a second. I'm trying to think of... <laughs> well, we had, like, we had the Dracula with... Um, well, what's his name? With Cushing and... Um, Christopher Lee, yeah. The yeah. horror of Dracula. Or Dracula. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. Where it was like an action-packed, tight version of this Bram Stoker tale, and it, like what I liked about that one is it took your preconceived notion and like kind of turned them on their head and gave you like a movie that was similar to the story, but really its own thing, which was pretty cool, and it moves really fast too. Oh, 
The Hammer Horror, that I would I would definitely feel that that stuff holds up. It's so stylish and so just kind of elegant and 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 crazy and and so much fun. And Peter Cushing was always so good in those. Peter Cushing was always so down for them, and Christopher Lee wasn't. That mm-hmm. was the yeah, I know, right? Well, because he was an actor, he was he's you know he he's like all right, I can make a movie. But, like I mean, this once you'll or twice. never. I mean, you watch the movies, you you could never tell he was unhappy though. That's a consummate professional. He was he was on it every time he played Dracula. As I, as I said, he was an actor. Yeah. He didn't have the, time the only to thing. The only, on this movie. the only clue you have is when he never leaves a location for a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lastly, um, we talked about Vincent Price. We talked about William Castle. There's also Roger Corman. Roger Corman certainly. Right. Yep. Roger yeah, Corman. Little, I, little, little early Roger Corman there. He definitely yeah. got his stride in the '60s. But yeah, a couple of the other wasps. Did the post stuff and... start at the end of the end of the '50s or? No, I think, no. Cause the last the, the last one he did right before the end of the thing was the Wasp Woman. So then he okay. started to get into the 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 stuff with Vincent and okay. In the '60s. That's right. Yeah. But he had he had a couple there. Had, I think I think um, Roger Corbin's one of those guys that without him there would be, Jesus look at how many careers he started. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And I and, and to this day I, we I wouldn't have the we, Burbs guys because there'd be no Joe Dante. No, right. no, no, the Burbs. But hey, hey, we wouldn't have so many other good ones. We wouldn't have the Howling. We wouldn't have the. And I'm sorry, I love Piranha. I like the verbs. Oh, Piranha's good. (laughs) Piranha's awesome. But yeah, you know, no James Cameron either. No, yeah. No, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Corman, for all the crap people gave him, and because he's basically for him being a cheapskate, but I kind of like that aspect of, like, you know, being creative with what you have and Mm -hmm. trying to make something for nothing rather than, you know, throwing like a ton of money at something and not seeing results i love the you know you find the the people who are talented and who have the best ideas by putting them in that situation where they have no money and have to figure out this big concept to put forth and that and, and have one weekend off mm-hmm. yeah 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 exactly two days to make a movie for them. <laughs> um one castle, use it for all your movies <laughs> there you go all right let's move into the 60s then and um I guess let's start off with this thing, which we'll get back to when we get more towards the kind of the eighties. But um, we have two movies that I can bring up right now. There's Peeping Tom and there's Psycho, which oh, are yeah. very, very, very early slasher movies, obviously. Yes. Um, right. Among other things, of course. But yeah, and not just slasher movies. They're they're prestige slasher movies. I mean, yes. it's, it's Michael Powell making Peeping Tom and yeah. Hitchcock making Psycho. I mean, these are, I mean, a bit. Michael Powell, but they weren't probably. like slasher movies at the time. They were no, just, they were just movies that had a concept. That, yeah, someone got stabbed. <laughs> and we'll get to Psycho in yeah. a second, but like, <clears throat> Peeping Tom, um, uh, <laughs> a, a Powell and Pre- he's even Powell and Pressburger is just Powell. But I mean, you have these kind of celebrated English film director making what was at t- at the time kind of a controversial film, but it's. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the way. I mean, would it be an exploitation film at the time? Not really. It's just more of a like, look how look how I can apply my colorful style and you know what I'm going for to this sort of film that's very different and very deranged in terms of what it involves. And, and you have these kind of POV shots and whatnot. I mean, it's 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 interesting to watch this movie. That's that's. No, it's it, it it holds up shockingly well. It's a, it's a terrifying film. I, I I still this is one of the scariest movies ever made. For a lot of reasons, that the, the lead performance is horrifying. I, that this movie still haunts me. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you would, that uh, that that uh, that you'd bring up. I'd, I'd forgotten, um, you know, again how influential that movie was. Uh, you know, along with Psycho, I mean, it really did. If you look, you know, as those years of the '60s go go on, it really did have quite an influence as to the next generation of what what could be done. I mean, that that kind of um, uh, uh, you know, creature feature kind of thing definitely evolved into something different. And it was definitely because of those two films. I like bringing up Peeping Tom because, and I'll, I keep saying, I'll get to Psycho. Psycho is my favorite horror movie of all time. So it's like, it, mm-hmm. it, I, I can say plenty, but I don't really want to plan to, but I just wanted to talk about Peeping Tom a little bit because it's such an interesting counterpoint to Psycho because they both came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. Peeping Tom was, I believe, first, but in England, so you know, just American audiences weren't exposed to it. But you look at movies like Halloween or like the first Friday of the 13th film, and they use POV. They use a lot of mm-hmm. like first-person perspective shots to show like horrible things happening. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, it, you wouldn't really think that like what an, acc- an acclaimed English director of films like The Red Shoes was responsible for something that uh, Carpenter or influenced Carpenter or 
or or, or the Friday Thirteenth. I can't think. Sean um, Cunningham. Cunningham. Thank Cunningham. You. Like, yeah, Cunningham. Yeah. like you wouldn't think that those were you know service influences, but that's well, that's what Peeping Tom kind of does. Sean, Sean, I wouldn't say Sean Cunningham was too influenced by it, but yeah, Carpenter yeah. because Cunningham was influenced by Carpenter. More. There you, oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> He might have talked to Carpenter and be like, what'd you do? He's like, I watched this movie Peeping Tom. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, it also pretty much destroyed uh, Pal's career. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, which unfortunately is a talented guy. It, it's strangely the, the backlash people just were so disgusted and horrified back when it came out. But now it's revered as a classic. So, it's a speak- shame. Speaking of, <coughs> let's move to Psycho as well. So this is Alfred Hitchcock's film. It's based off the Wait, no, that came out in 1998. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, <laughs> that movie does not exist, sir. Um, <laughs> it's a 1960s film. 1964. Why remake a classic? That would be psycho. A lot of people say it's one of his best. I certainly go that. I would go that far. It's based absolutely on a very popular yeah. novel at the time. Was it even popular? I don't know. Was it? It was just it was yeah, a novel. It was, at the yeah, time. I think it was popular. It was pretty solid. It was, yeah. Um, well, it was, like, I mean, it was it was another great combination of you know an amazing film, obviously, and and using great gimmicks, you know, saying, "Hey, we're not going to allow anybody into the theater oh, yes. after the movie begins." And you know, mm-hmm. I mean, really, you know, Hitchcock was all about showmanship. So it, you know, the trailer, the trailer, yeah, the trailer the bathroom, yeah, 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 one of the best, definitely. He was, you know, and but again, a master showman who matches it with a, a film that exceeds the expectations is why he was mm. so why he why that movie was so great. That um, was also the beginning of you know, uh, really kind of testing the audience and and going, hey, look at she's the lead. Oh, look at this, look at this. She's you like this woman, like this. Oh yeah, don't yeah, kill her. You know, just that was brilliant and it, it still is 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 shocking and, and relevant to this day. It's such a fantastic way to make a movie i love that it's one of the many things i love about this movie how it literally shifts perspectives of who you're supposed to technically like quote unquote root for throughout mm-hmm. this movie and like and it does it pretty much three times you get you get you yeah. get uh marion crane who is technically you know a bad guy to an extent but uh, she, she does bad she takes she takes the wrong actions and then she tries yes. to redeem herself and then gets murdered horribly mm-hmm. and then you get to so then it's norman the norman bates show who you you still don't necessarily know is the bad guy, but you certainly know he's involved oh, in the situation. Off. He's and he's off, yes. And yeah. when your suspense lies in hoping in like kind of hoping he gets away with cleaning up the murder, yeah, mm-hmm. as well, a, and which is a brilliant touch. Uh, and there's like little things in that performance. I mean, there's tons of things in that performance. But there's like a there's a small moment that I always love where he's like putting the car in the swamp, and like it stops for a second, and Norman Bates <laughs> kind of looks at it. Mm-hmm. And then it keeps going, and he kind of carries on with his ways. It's like, oh my yeah, god, this yeah. is amazing for what it's doing. And then, yeah, yeah, then you get to like the kind of the the third set of people, which uh, Vera Miles, and who you're not necessarily following, but it's it's just the way it shifts perspectives and the way it just the whole way it came together. It's just such a fascinating and amazing movie. So, and with the sets and the and the music, the music. Bernard the music was still terrifies. You still hear that on every every type of every horror compilation album. It's that, that beautiful. I love that. I love that. It's creepy. And, and also, that, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, there's just so many creepy things that I still like. That the Clancy Brown looking sheriff. It's still creepy. I call him uh, I call him No Eyes from a uh, Cool Hand Luke. I mean, he's just like yeah. He's, yeah. That shot of him peering into the uh, <laughs> and the shot of him across the street. Those are like yeah. There's um and he's you know a, a, a member of the police. Like he's supposed to be you know yeah. the guy you can you can rely on doing said. But it's I mean, a, Hitchcock instills his own like fear of the police perfectly in that moment. Like his his movies do have a lot of like paranoia when it comes to the law and stuff. Uh, due to something with his child uh, that happened in his childhood, but like he like the best example of that happens in Psycho with her pulled up over on the street, and it, like mm. just works so well. I love, by the way, I love the Clancy Brown reference. <laughs> he always uh, look, he looks exactly like Kirkin, Clancy Brown. <laughs> Who um, plays him in the? Re- is it Michael Remar? James Remar. James Remar. The movie that doesn't exist. Yeah, the uh, no, I was going to say, you know, and you also have to really give kind of an inter- a hats off whenever I think of Psycho, I have to give a hats off to Anthony Perkins because he really created, you know, uh, you know, and of course that once you know, you know, at, at the end, he really created 
you know, a, an interesting foil, an interesting villain, whatever you want to call it, out of somebody who was just kind of an average guy. And really, you know, mo- most of the time, you know, we've, we, we, we see horror as creatures or bad guys or whatever. And he was, here was this very interesting, uh, uh, complex kind of, you know what I mean, character. And, and so to create that and create a performance that, that left you guessing and was interesting and it, it really did set a tone that, that horror could, house a performance or house performances that were layered for sure yeah and i mean this is part we're talking right now i mean these weren't these were like peeping tom and um psycho and then we'll probably talk about like rosemary's baby and night of the living dead were kind of the in the seams movies Mm because like you know hammer hammer and a amic and like you know that and the vincent price po corman post stuff that was like the dominant stuff during the decade, but there's slowly leading in the seventies. We have these like horror films that are sort of like grounding and bringing things back to kind of reality. Like the popular stuff was like Gothic horror and always taking place in like the 1800s and stuff like that. And these were slowly bringing it into like the real fold and making it uh, feasible. Like night of the living dead, you know, it's about zombies and stuff, but it's still played for practical and like, it, you know, like it's really happening. And that would sort of lead on to what the seventies would become. But these are like sort of the in the seams movies and weren't the, the dominant in the popular movie going fair. Mm-hmm. Like these Absolutely. weren't always happening, but this this was the seeds being planted for the seventies. And, and, and there was a lot of really exciting. I, I, you you mentioned some great films. You also have to mention one of the best ghost stories ever made, and that is The Haunting. Yeah, which is another miserable remake. Um, but hmm. that 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 film, the Rubber Wise film, is all these films were a little ahead of their time in some way. I got to uh, I got to actually speak to Robert Wise one time before uh, about the haunting and and there was a whole I, I, if you remember the film there's a very very clear lesbian con- context with one of the characters which the studio wasn't happy about he had him he, he wanted him to change they wanted him to change one moment where she like I think she was uh, the the woman I can't even, Vera I'm trying to remember her name I'm blanking out Olivia. Oh shoot! Hold on. Look it up for me. Right. Bloom, I think. It's annoying. But she, Claire Bloom. She, Claire go. Bloom, yes, and she's writing on the window. Uh, I hate you to somebody, and it was clear that was another woman, and they had them change that because you know she she develops a liking for the le- leading lady, and it's. It, I know they did a lot of stuff like that. Same with Night of the Living Dead. There were a lot of controversies surrounding it. It's a racially inspired ending. You know, it, it, there was a lot of chance, chances being taken. Or, you know, like killing your leading lady off halfway through the movie. Yeah. Right. Well, Night of the Living Dead is, a, I mean, that, I mean, that... that... That that I mean that's another game changer because it really could prove, yes. pr- prove that you could that you could make a you know a really small film you know and <laughs> and have it make the most amount of impact and people you know that that I remember you know my dad telling me about a very couple of specific movies Psycho being one of them and Night of the Living Dead you know seeing those in the theater and uh, and just freaked him right out so and and that movie was was I mean I, when I was a kid they they showed that on the wall on a barn to 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 my brothers and sisters who were a little older. And it freaked them out, and this was like, I, I mean, way later. So um, yeah. the, the impact of that movie is just—it's—it's it's definitely felt. Night of Living Dead's another one like mm-hmm. Godzilla, where you watch, where you think about it, or you think about like the zombie genre and how that's progressed. And there's, you know, obviously there's there's zombies are already a subgenre of horror, and there's subgenres of zombie movies. I mean, there's yes. <laughs> so much there. But Night yeah. of the Living Dead, similar to like Godzilla, you look at that original movie, and it's. It's serious and stark, and you get, I mean, you get the, you can maybe have fun with listening to people argue back and forth, which is part of what makes that movie work so much, because it's about the people and not the monsters. Yeah. Um, but you get to scenes where, like, that explosion happens when their plan goes to shit, and um, ah. and you just have the, uh, the, 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 the dead eating the rest of what's left of them, and... There's no humor there. It's just gritty nah. stuff. It's right. just it's just people yeah. eating flesh of or just things eating the flesh of people, and it's like that. That's terrifying to think about. I'd imagine it's just like yeah, they're they're dead, and now their remains are being chomped on by people. It's just horrible. well, at least it's cooked. I mean, it's barbecue. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> nice. You know, I've had what that was made of, by the way. It's like so like shit, like turkey and chocolate sauce or something like that. Or... <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Something like some nasty combination to make that effect work in, in black well, and white. I think, you know what really freaked me about Night of the Living Dead is that, you know, that little girl starts murdering her yeah. mom. That's, yeah. That's messed up, man. And then her dad, oh, yeah. and then yeah, and then just... Dwayne Jones is supposed to go down and kill her because I can't well, do yeah. this. Well, and the, the score during that time is just this off-the-wall creepy shriek sounds and, like, echoes, and it's it's just it's bizarre, and you just don't feel comfortable, and it's horrifying. Yeah, the score is enough to maybe look past Judith Day's <clears throat> performance in that movie, that's for sure. It's, um... You know what? I don't. I actually kind of dig her performance because she's so freaking bat-crap crazy. I can't say the other word, can I? No. I, I, I dig it more now that I've seen it so many times, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> no, it, it kind of grows on you. and it, it, I never kind of... My my one of my complaints about horror movie fans, and, and this, it sounds bad, but the weird thing is, how many times have you been in a house in a farmhouse being attacked by zombies? How do you know someone wouldn't really react that way? Right. I mean, people react ridiculous in horror movies, but they're in ridiculous situations. I've never been chased by a zombie. I've never been chased by a, a guy with a knife or an axe. At least not yet. Well. Well, actually, I did last Dream to dream. Kind of. But I dream the dream. But, you, you know, I mean, there's obviously bad performances, certainly. But you watch certain performances and you're like, well, you know what? They're they're nutty. And I, I got that with her. She, it's just she's just like freaking out. And I, I, I think it really works for the film. Well, another thing, too, is with people, the characters in horror movies and their actions, they're also n- not real. They're not they don't know they're in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. They haven't yeah. seen like everything building up. It's its own universe, especially in older ones when things are yeah. just going to go. Like they don't like okay um, in a horror movie I do that because it's it's to them it's you know it's real life and like you you wouldn't think of movies if you're like in that situation you you may later on but the first initial panic and wave of things is fresh and new to you and you're thinking of practical ideas not yeah film logic. Now, now but it's interesting we've talked about you know Psycho at the beginning you know it, because. You know, the, the, to taking a, a, a turn more towards the gore side, you know, you, you had some of Herschel Gordon Lewis's stuff, you know. Um, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the threesome, you know, Blood Feast, 2000 Maniacs, you know. So it's interesting how some people went the way of, like, you know, Roger Corman and Vincent Price and, and that kind of thing. And then, and then Herschel Gordon Lewis went the opposite way, you know, kind of took that, said, hey, you know, we didn't really get to see any of the actual gore and went, okay, that's, and I think that's, you know, some of the first stuff that we saw in terms of, gore and blood and that kind of stuff and actually seeing that stuff um that wasn't really allowed on screen we also had like mario bava's hitting it right at the time absolutely well. yeah who led in the whole gallo i mean yeah they, this the 60s were it was a really exciting time for horror yeah you, you have a lot of people coming from you know all over the world as well like you have a lot of yeah. you know the american stuff is that brings a lot that brings a lot more of the kind of the, the "Quote unquote gore and whatnot." You have we still have kind of the respected English filmmakers who want to you know try to create tension and terror through the old-fashioned ways of doing horror, and you know they have actors like Peter Cushing who can lend a level of credence to certain things like that. Then you have like the Italian filmmakers who are just like, let's just make it really red. Let's just do that. Let's have yeah. let's have some colors. <laughs> Everything's beautifully red. <laughs> it looks like like nice red paint. Like my some of my favorite horror movies to watch on Blu-ray are Italian because I know their the use of color is going to be outstanding, and if it's a good Blu-ray, it's going to look amazing. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. absolutely. Like we get to the, when we get to the seventies, we can talk about things like like torso or something like that. Where it's like, <laughs> oh my god, look how great this movie looks. Nice, but and but you still and you still had uh, you you know some of the showmanship. Castle had done seven movies, by the way, in the sixties, mm-hmm. um, all with 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 gimmicks and stuff. You know, from Thirteen Ghosts to Straight Jacket, and so you still had that stuff. I mean, it's it really is sixties. Really was an eclectic group of old, new, odd. It's it's amazingly interesting if you really you know kind of research it and go through it. It's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and we haven't even gotten to Rosemary's Baby, which led into yeah. the whole. Mm. Yeah, you know what's funny when you I I I I, I caught a lot of um, old TV movies, and I think we'll get more into this in the seventies. There's a lot, that the idea of Satanism and cults and stuff was really obviously with the uh, the Charles Manson situation. There's a lot of fear of that, and again, we're talking politics and and how politics affected the whole horror the world of horror and and how people played on that i, I think it was uh 
for Night of the Living Dead, or no, for Dawn of the Dead, we'll go into that, but I know the effects were kind of driven by Vietnam. So it's amazing how the 50s changed, just made it so political. All the horror really became, like you said, it became right at home, really. I mean, yeah, it was in theme, and when you're watching it, you don't sort of realize it, but once you go back to study, you realize that, like, it was, you know, that's where where the influence came from, the feel and everything. But it wasn't like, you know, it's obviously... Whether intended by the director or not, it, it came out because that's the way the ways of the time and stuff. But it wasn't like overt, knock you over the head. But if you go back and look, I'm like yeah, that definitely was of its time. But yeah, like later absolutely. on, some stuff would would be more overt and obvious. But like yeah, during this time, it was just sort of happening that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess you can't, you know, if you're making a movie and you're living in that time, you can't avoid it sometimes, especially if you're affected by it on a daily basis. Just like, I mean, nowadays when there's movies that, you know, obviously come from, you know, time of 9-11 and the reaction to that. And I, I don't think a lot of filmmakers intentionally make 9-11 re- relevant movies. It's just the times we live in and how... How they're influenced and what, how it comes out in their writing, which can be... Right, yeah. yeah. Which can be interesting. Absolutely. I mean, it, Absolutely. It, it leads to some very interesting ideas for horror movies. We'll get there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you... Uh, Jim, I think you mentioned Rosemary's Baby. I mean, yeah, the kind of the end of the 60s, it really... It started to bring in more of that kind of... Uh, demonic type horror, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and a lot of grim, grim outlook on life too. For this sure, is, yeah. I mean, not, I mean, many, even... not many happy endings in a lot of these horror movies, by the way. No, <laughs> no that, it, especially it, that time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, movies in general too. I mean, they were starting to t- the end of the '60s and most of the '70s would take this grim tone of of an outlook on life. I mean, even like at this time, like James Bond uh, on Her Majesty's Secret, Secret Service, is a movie where you know his his wife is murdered at the end. Yeah. It has this happy ending, mm-hmm. but you know it has this grim grim ending to it and like a lot of movies were heading this way and horror was like leading the pack with stuff like Rosemary's Baby and Night of the Living well, Dead that's even a, even a movie like, like uh, Easy Rider how yeah. awful is that ending you get, the, you like, get yeah geez. you get that new wave you get like Bonnie and Clyde you get these yeah, movies that, are, yeah, that yeah. are regardless of if they're based on true stories or not you're getting movies that are made with the intention of not necessarily shocking audiences, but certainly providing them something different to experience, let alone not rely on having standard tropes be the way that dictates the plotting of these movies. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, something like Easy Rider is an experimental movie, and like something like Bonnie and Clyde is a movie that that ca- that that features a lot of blood and a lot of action, and doesn't lead to anything that resembles a traditional romance uh, between no. two people. It's more of like look right. how crazy, look how regardless of their intentions, look how you know, insane this situation got, and look what the result was. It was a massive shootout, and people died. <laughs> like, and that's, that's your heroes right there. Or even something oh. like The Graduate, where, it, uh, like, we're getting all over the place in terms of genre now, but I mean... Yeah, I know. It's a really, you know, eye-opening time in terms of cinema. Um, but And you bring it back to horror, and yeah, it's not just like, oh no, there's a threat. We gotta get rid of this threat. Okay, good. Oh, there's a sequel. Oh, we gotta get rid of it again. Now we have Rosemary's Baby, where you have me, we have darling Mia Farrow trying to deal with the fact that her, that she's been impregnated by the devil, and by the end of that movie, it's not, oh man, good thing we got rid of that devil baby. It's, okay, time to raise this devil baby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Oh, okay. So wait. So uh, so let, since we're in the '60s, I was going to say, uh, uh, and in keeping with the theme of of um, uh, you know uh, movies all over them, all over the map, uh, I would give two Forgotten Friday flicks uh, okay. in this in this episode. The first one I would do on more the quirky comedic side would be The Little Shop of Horrors, the original right. Roger Corman film. Because everybody thinks of Little Shop of Horrors, they think of the musical and they think of the you know the film that Rick Moranis did. But of course, Roger. Corman started it back in 1960 with this quirky little funny wacky movie and remember you had mentioned Jack Nicholson is giving him his start he had a he had a, a cool little cameo in the movie which was the um the role that uh Bill Murray played in the uh in the it, 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 yes yeah. yes so great funny awesome quirky little movie black and white it's unbelievably funny and unbelievably cool to, so to that's be, a, to be fair I like that movie but I really like the Rick Moranis musical movie I think that movie fantastic <laughs> Um, Downtown. I can just go over that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would say on the far side, uh, you know, I love Rosemary's Baby's great, but uh, you might have forgotten the 1965 film that he did with Catherine Deneuve called Repulsion. Repulsion, yeah, that's oh, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that, great that's a, paranoia. Right. And really shows, you know, you know, in a confined space, what amazing things can be done to create fear and paranoia. And just, it's a, it's a, it's a rip roaring ride, man, that I know a lot of people may not remember, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's early Roman Polanski. And again, I, I think it's right on par with Rosemary's Baby. Okay. So it has, has a very nice Criterion release too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Polanski who I credit as having, like, the worst life despite making some of the best films of all time. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Given yeah, everything oh he's got, not just, like, the, you know, the stuff that he's not in America for anymore, but just the, the stuff before that, with this one between Manson and, you know, the Holocaust. Like, there's just these horrible yeah, things that have happened to this awful, man. Awful, awful <laughs> But he's made, like, yeah, he's made some amazing films. And, yeah, Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion. I mean, he, he really knew how to cash in on the kind of the paranoia aspect that was going on during the Cold War. I mean, that's... It's genre defining in a lot of ways for mm-hmm. what he was doing. What else? Yeah. I, um, good picks, by the way. Thank <laughs> you, Jason. Oh, do we get to do we 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 get to do Forgotten Friday? That's, no, that, oh, that's, my, that's <laughs> I do that, that's my that's my uh, my article that I do on Fridays out of love, just to, oh, to I know, share, no, share I know, my I know. share my knowledge the best. So it, so I tried to I'm trying to in each of our our decades here to pick a, a film that you may not remember um, so that you can go back and uh, and enjoy your Halloween with it this this year. So. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy, if you want to do Sleepy Saturdays, movies that you, you know, forgot about, <laughs> you know, generally, generally watch on your couch. <laughs> there is a movie, one of my favorite uh, 60s horror films. I think it's definitely found a, a, a sort of cult classic uh, um, label now, but uh, 1962 Carnival Souls is a oh, yeah. fantastic yeah. Creepy. That's like one creepy. of the mind f movies. Yes. Like, yes. There of all and, time, like art housey and and just a really uh, so I, again this was you know this was kind of played on our our, our fears and paranoias and of and just a fan and it, it was you know it had that nice little twist. What a what a fantastic little movie and it it it, it that one holds up really well and the. The ghosts or whatever they were, the zombies or whatever they were, were just <laughs> creepy. I got a sh- that guy on my sh- one a shirt, and it's just like that guy's scary as hell, man. I think that movie's like almost perfection. It's like it's it like, is it holds up. I mean, and, and thanks to it being in black and white too, like that adds to the creepiness. And some of the makeup probably might have not worked, not have worked in color, but man, it's probably not effective. Like all the mirror images and stuff. It, I mean, mm. that movie is just haunting in its own right and I, I i caught that first time i caught that was like on a like sci-fi channel in like the early 90s used to do uh like horror movie marathons where they do one a night and like i think like rob zombie hosted or something mm-hmm. yeah they showed that movie and like even watching it on tv i was just mesmerized and it sucks that that thing's in like public domain and there's no proper like blu-ray release or anything for it it's yeah it's very it's very sad it's honestly one of my favorite films of that of that that era and a really beautiful, really great movie. That's a God, yeah, we're, we're missing score. so many movies. Yeah, the score. That's an Oregon score. That's a that's a creepy score. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. That, I, every year that is one of my my mainstays. Unfortunately, like you said, it's got the cl- crappy you know DVD release. So, uh, we need a real nice version of it, which. They, they put it on Blu-ray last year in like a collection, but all the films in the collection were 480i. So it was like, what, yeah. what was the point? Yeah. Why did yeah. you do that? Why? Why even bother? So. I can see that coming out as a eventual release. Though. Somebody, I mean, it's public domain. Like, Criterion's put out public domain Hitchcock movies before, and this would, mm-hmm. I think, this would sell. To... Oh, I think it. I think a lot of people. It's it's definitely become found its found its fame throughout the years and i think people have really i i, I know when i when i have that shirt people notice and people are like ah oh, that and they you know i mean not jumping decades a little bit but insidious owes a lot oh yeah a lot oh yeah oh yeah part of all souls i mean almost <laughs> identical on some moment in some moments so if you if you're a fan of insidious and you haven't seen carnival of souls Highly, highly, highly recommend seeing that film. It's fun when we get to the kind of that more mod, the modern era of horror, and we can talk about the movies that are clearly influenced by a lot of these older movies, and the ones yeah. that you know seem to kind of do a good job of representing the fact that it's out of love, as opposed to just saying like, "Look at how we ripped off this thing," but don't yeah, tell anybody. Exactly. Like, there's there's Absolutely. certainly movies I think that kind of you can see where some are influenced in the kind of the good way, and some are influenced mm. in kind of the 
we did this because yeah, it looked cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and just to make it clear, James Wan clearly d- does that. Oh yeah, for he, sure. He seriously loves the the earlier films, and he 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 pays a really wonderful homage to it. So it's uh, yeah. I, I was at an early Q. I mean, we'll get to Insidious, but I was at an early Q and A about Insidious with him and uh, Lee Wan all talking about their influences and how that kind of because you because you kind of because that advertising that movie kind of puts it one way but it's certainly influenced by other things beyond just like mm. it's a haunted house there's way more going on in it yeah like, absolutely yeah a lot of uh, people point their poltergeist realm. but there's plenty of other oh yeah yeah well, yeah it's yeah it's like no they they went they went a little farther than the 80s to find a movie that they could yeah. reference for these things yeah. <laughs> um i wanted to ask about this because i thought this was kind of neat i mean the 60s and the 50s you get a lot more um color um, but there's still a lot of black. There's still a lot of black and white as well mm-hmm. in terms of kind mm-hmm. of the horror movies we're seeing. And black and white was by choice too for a lot of them. Yeah, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it was for you know budget limitations, but other times it was because this is how we made movies. <laughs> this yeah, is, this is this is where we see the more kind of effective stuff coming out. I'm trying to think of like, do you guys have like kind of like a last black and white movies that you kind of enjoyed seeing as the years kind of progressed further and further? Mm. Like Carnival yeah, of Souls, like in the obviously. 60s? Yeah, in the sixties, or even, yeah, like Psycho's an obvious example, or in Carnival of Souls, we just mentioned. I mean, yeah. I think we mentioned a lot that I can. Think how, about I think how far did Hammer Horror go as far as going back and forth between black and white? Were they, did they even did they even like just stop doing black and white altogether at one point and just go strictly to horror? Or was it still kind of shift, shift, and shape shifting? Cricket. I, you know, honestly, I don't remember. I don't. I'm trying to think when. Uh... I don't know when they went to color. I mean, they went. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I mean, the, uh, the 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 films themselves went. I think to about the about mid seventies, right? Seventy four around there. Probably, probably something like that. This is where that that lack of research really comes in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where we do what we can to get this going. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think for the uh, for the next one we may actually have to do a little research. I mean, maybe. I... Maybe. I, I still think this is, I, as we get closer and closer, I think the 70s will be a lot easier. From the 70s on, it's going to be off off our heads a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what else can we talk about as far as the 60s go? There's, you know, the thing is, looking back on it, there's so much uh, Witchfinder General. Um, there's a lot of really great films for Die, Monster, Die, uh, that... I don't know. It's it, it's an interesting decade, and it, I think we've covered a lot of it. it, it there was su- such a variety. Uh, it also, you know, there was like you were talking about Herschel Gordon Lewis, all these fascinating uh, uh, Roger Corman guys that kind of are still looked upon today and and became inspirations for so many people. I think it'll be interesting to see, like you said, how many of these names pop up. When we start looking at the 70s, 80s, especially the 90s. I was going to say, another thing, too, with this decade that I can think of is that it's the last decade where the films actually, like, looked pretty. They started getting a little more grimy, a little more haunting. Everything, like, a lot of the horror films of this era, like, you know, the the Corman Poe stuff, the Hammer, like, were shot with the same sort of, like, filmmaking as any other genre it's just their set decorating and costuming was a little different but i mean they they all have a similar look to other films and horror starts to take its own kind of vibe in the 70s with grittier looking movies and different lighting schemes and stuff like that but i mean the films of the like 60s seem to be like well lit pretty technicolor that's interesting because by i mean some of that comes from just kind of the style of the time but Mm -hmm. i've we, we mentioned kind of in the past that like there are a lot of movies being made in the you know the 30s and 40s. Like it's not like it, it, I, I mentioned kind of ratios, but there's certainly a lot of movies being made regardless of you know the budgets or whatnot. And you look at 50s, 60s, and yeah, I mean it's still kind of that way. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot more uh, care to production value in terms of like traditional mm-hmm. filmmaking, whereas the 70s and onwards will get to kind of the more independent filmmaking scheme of of turning out horror turning out horror movies so it's not i guess it's not like it's different in terms of the amount of films being made but and even you know the style of which they're made but it's certainly there's a shift in terms of the look of these movies like you're saying like it and it is going to kind of not degrade in quality but certainly have a different visual aesthetic because of the approach they're taking in making these movies, I guess. Which... Well, Night of, Night, and Night of the Living Dead is a classic example of that. Because for sure, yeah. Because of the idea that 
you could make, I mean, I mean, if you look at a lot of these, these horror movies, they probably think, oh, you know, there was, there was a lot of makeup. There's a lot of, uh, you know, special effects, you know, these things, these movies are really expensive to make. And that was one of the first movies that just was like a pick up a camera and make a movie kind of thing. And, and, right. and so that started a movement definitely that showed that, Hey, you could make a, an effective, you know, a topical horror movie for, for little money. So mm-hmm. I, I think that, that, that was one of the, that, that movie was also kind of the birth of that a little bit. Yeah. Well, him yeah. and Roger Corman, obviously. Right, right. You know, obviously. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, what a, what a great decade. You know what we forgot to talk about? One of my favorites? Hmm. Spider Baby. <laughs> I love that movie so much. I'm like, dang, no, they, you know what? I'm just going through, I'm like looking at, we could talk for hours about all these great movies, and it, it, I think they were all, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I would, I think it's a safe bet that we were all inspired by many of these, and, and, and uh, as view all of the, all us, and that it kind of shaped our way, not only uh, for filmmakers, but I think it shaped our ways as viewers for what we found terrifying as children, and what we, what, what we kind of brought with us to into adulthood, and why we love horror films. I mean, at Ooh. least I know for me it did. Oh, hey, one more. Here, I'll slide one more in there for you from uh, from 1965. It's a it, probably a creepy movie, little movie you never heard of called The Collector. Uh, oh, with, yeah. With Terrence Stamp and Samantha Agar. It's it's one of the first kind of creepy obsession, obsession kidnap flicks where it's Terrence mm-hmm. Stamp playing a guy who's a butterfly collector and then decides to collect human beings. So it's... But it's, it's, a, it's- it's not. It's not necessarily horror. It's also kind of right, drama, romance. Right. Yeah, romance. Yeah. romance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was, that's definitely... that's what they used to call dating. Right. <laughs> that's a William Wyler film too. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah known, it's fantastic not known for making those really... kind of movies. <laughs> right. And, but it's definitely got a creepy factor. Terrence Stamp has, it does. has that it weird does. creepy factor. So I would throw that in there as, as something to uh, to check out for something something odd and weird. Jimmy, and you know why? Jimmy, was hot. You know why I'll allow it? Because I kneel before Zod. So it's uh, a. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and Jimmy loves Priscilla Queen of the Desert, so we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> There's also uh, I know uh, Incubus. That's another film I was just thinking oh. about with Shatner. I was, I was like, this. Yeah. I was looking around these years. Um, that's just a weird movie, but I just find yeah. it. You know. The band is good though. Just kidding. <laughs> what else? Anything else we can talk about? This decade, or if we just wrap it up, I think we can wrap it up. I think we've we've uh, we've done about as much research. <laughs> I mean, this will be like fight, like looking through a list, going, okay, this film, that's a movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know exactly. what? No, I forgot. You know what? There's a. I mean, I'm, I, I mentioned you know the kind of different nations that are bringing in horror films. Japanese horror was certainly picking up a lot here yeah. too. Like we've mm-hmm. moved, they've moved kind of past the. Oh, I mean, they're still making Godzilla movies, but they've certainly moved past the. Um, the initial like outbreak of Godzilla films and into kind of more like let's make really weird horror movies and we'll kind of get into it I think more as we carry on to the decades because Japanese horror cinema is quite strange. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but it certainly had some origins coming back in the in the sixties. I'll, I'll just say that for now because I know there is. We also, I mean, we also had the early state. I mean, early franchising too. I mean, we had the Hammer with the Hammer. We had the Dracula franchise. Which through the sixty late from late fifties through the early seventies ran off nine entries, and then you had like the, the Frankenstein ones and the Mummy. I mean, this was like you know your precursors to the like Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street dominated yeah. the eighties. You had these in the seventies, and and there's structurally there's some similar qualities between the two. It's kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah, Which, absolutely. You know, you know how they raise back Dracula and how they finish him in every movie. Kind of you know same thing as every Jason movie starts out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Of, I've been I've been you know writing recently about the Hammer Dracula films, and I've been it's been interesting to see the 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 uh, mirroring of each other between that and like Friday the Thirteenth. It's been kind of interesting. All right. Well, with that, I guess I just let's just wrap it up then. Let's let's wrap it up so we can get to, we can uh, save everything for for next week's show when we talk about the seventies, uh, only the seventies. I think there's a lot there to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get to more. Yeah. Um, Disco Funk and The Omen. Yeah. Disco Woo-hoo! Funk, The Omen, more zombie stuff, um, some yeah. a lot more comedy horror. That uh, comedy horror really kind of kicks in around this time as well. Um, let alone yeah, a few names like Carpenter and Spielberg seem to be around at this time. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll we'll get there. 
Um, but for now, all that said, um, where can people find more of your work, Jason? Uh, you can go to starpulse.com. And again, we're this, this, this month, I'm in my, for my Forgotten Friday flick, I'm featuring the works of Frank Henenlotter. So last week was Basket Case and more stuff coming up. So you can check it out at starpulse.com. Yay. Jason? Uh, Jason. Brandon? Uh, you can find my work at Naptown Nerd, which is naptownnerd.blogspot.com. Currently writing about the uh, Hammer Dracula series, and I also do Blu-ray reviews at whysoblue.com. And I co-host with Aaron and Maxwell Haddad the Ichapod Cranecast, which follows the episodic adventures of Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Studio. Uh, you can find me at joblow.com and arrowinthehead.com, where I write a couple of articles on old movie stars, ironically enough. Recently, Samantha Agar, so thank you for bringing that up, Jason Coleman. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter, Jimmy2TheO, and Facebook, James Oster, um, Instagram, Jimmy2TheO. I'm all over the place. And I, I've got a new movie coming out, which I may bring up later. <laughs> Shamelessly plugging his own. <laughs> hey, you, I am beaten and bruised to make this movie, so uh, yeah. So you can find more of my work at thecodazeek.com. <laughs> you can also find me at Why So Blue. Um, I'm at Twitter, at Aaron's PS4. And I, uh, yeah, as Brandon mentioned, I host the Ichapod Crank has as well. Um, I had a whole thing right now for the 70s, I forgot. Yeah, we're going to talk about counterculture, evil children, grittiness, experimentation, the rise of bloodshed, Cronenberg, and comedy horror. That's, that's next week's 70s show. Um, but you can, of course, find all the other episodes about now there on today on iTunes, HHWLOD. That's the network that hosts our show. Also at Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podomatic, all the places you can find podcasts pretty much. Uh, email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on uh, this, these couple decades in horror. I completely forgot to mention this. We have a contest. I have a contest I want to announce. Ah, oh, that's nuts. <laughs> I meant to put nuts. that in the notes. Um, so I'm going to announce it right now, and I'm going to announce it on the main show of Out Now Here in a as well. Um, but because we're doing this kind of decade-by-decade decade horror uh, podcast series, I figured if you guys email us or put it on our Facebook page, podcast in like a message or some way, um, we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on like your favorite horror movies from each individual decade. So if you're able to do that from like the 20s up to now, um, we'll kind of the number of people that do that will kind of put you into a raffle, and I have a bunch of horror movies that I can give away. Um, nice. So yeah, just email us at gmail.com or we'll put it on our Facebook page for the listeners of the show, not the guests, Jimmy. Um, I was going to ask. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to this man no, you, yeah. don't need, you don't need it you're a big star you pay for it yourself <laughs> basically yeah if you have a if you have like a list of horror movies from like one from each decade i mean you could skip one or two decades if you really don't have like a favorite 20s no horror. no you have to do the tw- Everyone no, you heard jimmy never mind yes. never mind yes. has to be a hidden gem <laughs> yes has yeah, to be every decade. There's enough movies you could pick from. Come on. There you go. Okay, so give us a, yeah, give us a list of your horror movies from each decade that you really love, and uh, yeah, I'll put you in, guys into the raffle, and we'll see what who wins. Uh, you know, some I got I have like I'm looking on my floor right now. I have like a whole bunch of a stack of Blu-rays. I know a bunch of them are horror Blu-rays. So yeah, I'd be love to ship those out to a winner for you know sticking with us through these uh these horror including episodes. Including hey hey Spirit, let's... Stupid and Sharknado two, the second one. Woo! <laughs> And hey, let's give horror movie, let's give horror movie fans credit. Most of, most horror fan movies, horror fans know their know their decades. Yeah. And they they know this stuff even back to the twenties because because you know they they're true fans and they love this stuff. So come That's on, the one genre you guys where everybody it. does their homework and research and wants to know more and more and more. Unless we're doing a podcast about it, then we don't do the yeah. research as much. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Let's stop there. We'll come back when we get to the seventies, the the gritty seventies. And uh, but yeah, thank you, Jimmy, Jason, and Brandon for joining me today to discuss the fifties and sixties. Thank you for having us join. Yeah, thank you. And um, ideally, we'll be able to once again uh, properly schedule this episode so we can all be back for the next one, where we can have I'm sure a lot of time devoted to a lot of horror movies that came out of the seventies period. But until next time, that's it. So so long and goodbye.
Uh, is Jimmy awesome. is Jimmy O going to review his own film? Heck no! I, I, <laughs> we, we'll do that. Clearly, <laughs> we clearly, can we can we, can we put a podcast together where we just review the films? Of yeah, Jimmy that'll be o? The, that'll be the sixth yes. week of, of, uh, yeah. of October. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween hangover. Well, see, uh, yeah, I can't really talk about it until we talk about the, you know the recent horror films because obviously it's going to be very influential in the future. Or whatever. The work I assume I'm that you doing. were influenced by Spider Baby to make this movie. So. Yeah. Of course, of course. Now, I, I did. I have. I have an inspiration. I was inspired by Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I'll tell you why later. Oh, because you dance like Leatherface. I get it. No, no, no. I do the uh, one of my favorite. The trucker shuffle. The, one of my favorite kills is when uh, he knocks that guy in the head, and you see his body just uh, trembling. Oh yeah. I get total. I mean, I, I literally I get hit by a car, I get stabbed in the neck, and I get shot in the shoulder and the elbow and through the hand. So I kind of, and I, and I don't die, ironically enough. I just, my body's just a shaking, like, corpse of jello of a man, and it was fun. I, and I kept thinking of, hey, that guy from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was a cool kill. So that that's what I was influenced by. That's what I did, baby. It was fun. 